Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you, Scott, and hello to you. How are you? And what is going on in your plant world? If you'd like to talk about it, you can simply call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Leading off every Saturday morning will be the Good Gardening Stroll, and that will be after just a sort of introduction. Afterwards, we'll discuss what's impacting your trees, your perennials, that hillside, shrubs, lawn, ground cover, and anything planted in the outdoors. Or else we can step inside your house and take a look at your tropical world. From routine care and maintenance, pet impact, and specifically talking maybe about potting mixes or improving your soils, or pruning, insect troublemakers, suspicious growth or spots, transplanting, taking cuttings, and beyond. I'll share my knowledge to help you make good decisions on what action is needed or should be considered. Remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you having me in your plant world. Another very important player is James. He's producing today. He answers the phone and pushes all the buttons. So when you call, James just needs your first name, and that's pretty much it. By the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, And besides, on Saturday morning, we can get together at your home, and I can take a look at your plant world with an on-site consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the home page, there will be my email address, which is mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com, or my phone number is there as well. Well, let's get strolling. This walk is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Stepping out the back door, ooh, starry, starry, early morning. Ah, the moon, well, it's past full now, but uh, it still looks pretty good. The stars I'm talking about on this starry, starry morning were not in the sky, but on the lawn, the cars, the tree leaves, the tree branches, all kinds of other things as well. It was the frost was unbelievable and it was so sparkling it was absolutely fantastic. And today I decided to take a trip down uh, 
Yes, to Wilmore Park for a chilly walk. Wilmore Park was established in 1947, actually two years before I was even born. So it's been there for quite a while. And it runs along Hampton and River de Pere. There's a fence that separates the two. And, uh, boy, this park is just it runs and runs and keeps going and keeps going. And uh, on the east end, you're greeted by tennis courts. And then first of numerous pavilions, a mixture along the parkway of numerous trees from conifers and deciduous, some older and mature, others uh, like teenagers. Lots of wide open lawn areas, ball fields. There's an equipment building and there's North Lake, which is a public fishing area. And that's St. Louis Parks working with the Missouri Conservation Department. This is where the roadway ends, and the park keeps going way beyond that and with walkways and headed towards the playground. This park is unbelievable as far as the options there is. Lots of benches and just recreation-type circumstances. But uh, it's near where Tracy and I live, and when we drive by it, it's really not used as much as you would think it would be. But uh, I guess it's location or whatever it is, or maybe it's just when we're driving by, uh, it's not the time when a lot of people are there. The playground is uh, really unique. There's a fountain near it. And uh, as I said before, the the North Lake, you can do some public fishing if you like. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1100. And uh, we'll be back after these messages. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. Yes, folks, we do have phone lines open. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This weather is just totally wild. To think that a couple days ago it was 60, I was sitting in the backyard just absorbing the sun because I am solar powered, so I do need the sun. And then today it was like, oh my goodness gracious, like I said, with the starry, starry nights, only it was on the ground and everything else with the frost and the temperatures. And just Scott talking about uh, the weather during his news broadcast the temperature's going up and down and all around. That's why my nose is kind of clogged up and everything else. It's really just totally wild and crazy. But uh, in your own, in your landscape, I'm still, you know, the birds are just really enjoying it. And uh, because I throw the bird seed out, and for the first time this past week, actually had uh, a gang of nine crows that came down and helped themselves to some of the bird seed, too. First time I've seen crows come to you know come in, and this morning the crows seem to get up as early as the squirrels do. The squirrels are running all over the place, like when I was walking through uh, Wilmore Park, and uh, then you could hear the crows in the distance. I don't know where they're going or anything else, but uh, both those are up very very early. So there's all kinds of stuff going on that you might want to take a look at. And that's like uh, check the Missouri Botanical Garden because I'm sure they have 
uh, classes coming up that might interest you. Also, the University of uh, Illinois Extension Service, they do offer some classes as well. Sometimes garden centers will have people that will give talks. So that's something you can really learn things very quickly, and you can really get some insight on certain plant materials if you have some interest by going to the Plant Society meetings. And they can, you know, they meet uh, lots of different places, many of them at the Botanical Garden, different nights uh, in different uh, times during the week and things like that. But uh, the people in the Plant Societies give you that kind of insight that, uh, yes, books and everything else, you can get that information. But these people will show you or tell you about the little sort of tricks that you can learn very early on. So, Other things that you need to be watching out for. Last week, as I was talking, I haven't seen any of the spring flowering bulbs coming up uh, you know, out of the ground. But a lady called and she said she had various bulbs from tulips to daffodils and crocus all the way around her house at various locations. I thought, well, usually it's only going to be on the south side of your house because that's the warmest side. But she had them in all different directions, so that's pretty impressive with uh, with her doing that. And uh, other things, too. I've got, uh, as you know, lots of different uh, summer bulbs. So the daffodils and tulips. No, not daffodils, not tulips. Nothing like that. The cannas and the elephant ears and caladiums. And I've got to start separating those and getting those ready to be uh, planted out in pots because... I do some in pots, and I've started to do some in the ground as well. So other things that uh, you might start taking a look at is uh, the evergreens, like boxwood, broadleaf evergreens. You're probably going to notice that there's going to be quite a bit of the interior leaves dropping off. And one thing I really noticed lately, euonymus, the evergreen euonymus, there must that early cold spell must have really done some damage because most of the varieties that I see of the evergreen euonymus, broadleaf evergreen, have all the leaves are really brown. So that's they're going to recover from that, but it's going to be a little bit of while before they're going to be uh, kind of back to the shape that they were before. And this was whether they were hedges, individual plants, or anything else. So that really kind of struck me. I know it got you know cold early, but it caught the plant material, obviously, at least the euonymus, by surprise. Keep an eye out. The chickweed still is just going nuts. That's the cool season annual weed that uh, actually started germinating and growing in August, and consequently, it's still going. And the seeds can lay there for a long time, and uh, I just can't believe that I, you know, I go after them and, you know, pull them up myself. I don't use herbicides in certain in the majority locations because I like to see what's coming up uh, weed wise and everything else. And uh, so consequently, the chickweed, I have a, a, a Ryerson edging around the garage and the house and everything else. And I backfill that with rock, and this is where the chickweed is most prominent, more so than in the lawn areas. I did last week, I talked about cutting my grass. I did cut my front lawn and backyard. I have zoysia, and you say, why would people, (laughs) 
people say, well, why would you mow it when it's brown? Well, it was a little bit elongated, and I just I cut it down pretty low, and that way I'm going to minimize, hopefully, any kind of, you know, fungus problems as a result of that because even though the blades are long and brown, they can still be packed down by just rain and everything else, and that just kind of sets up a scenario where the humidity is just a little bit tougher. And uh, though we haven't had much sort of snow this year, we've had that one little spell, uh, still that's another situation where the humidity as a result of the moisture from you know, either rain or, you know, anything, ice, sleet, snow, can cause, you know, fungus problems. And fungus in lawns is really a very difficult thing to do. If you do have any trees that are branching-wise that you want to do some pruning, yes, you're probably better off to do the pruning on the majority of them, except the maples. They prefer maples and beeches and birches. They like to be pruned in the summertime, but the majority of the other trees can be pruned better before the new growth begins. So consequently, you want to get out there and do some pruning. If you've got uh, all kinds of, let's say, sprigs shooting off this trunk or the base or whatever it happens to be, get those cut off and make sure that you make a, a clean, pretty clean cut And the cut, don't leave any kind of stub because that just offers an opportunity for something to take off. And also, this time of year is a good time to sort of check any of the organic or inorganic fertilizers, herbicides, insecticides, or fungicides to make sure that during this, you know, cold spell that we just had, plus the cold spell earlier on, didn't do any kind of damage. So just kind of, you can check it without knowing what it's all about and may and also with the bag material make sure that if you had it sitting on the ground or on the floor that uh oh is there moisture in there is it kind of like solidified if it's solid then that's kind of what you want to avoid so well we've got a couple phone calls but we do have more phone lines open 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 Let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'd like uh, some recommendations on some indoor flowering plants that maybe would fit like in a six-inch pot that is non-toxic to animals because there's some dogs in the house. And a lot of them I look at, uh, you look up the name and, ooh, toxic to cats or dogs if they eat the leaves. Um, you got any recommendations? Yeah, as far as flowering, realize that any of the things that are going to be flowering, you could even try to grow something as simple as geraniums inside. And that's, even though you consider geraniums for the most part a plant that's outside, they do pretty well inside in a nice sunny window. And they, you know, will give you pretty long, extensive flowering periods. Anything inside, though, is going to have to have a rest period, so nothing's going to be, you know, consistently uh, flowering. And then you could do something as simple as some of the bulbs, like a series like the amaryllis. You get about four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks, depending upon, you know, where it's exposed or where it's sitting and everything else, 
of a really large, you know, flowering circumstance. Then you have the Christmas cactus or the uh, Thanksgiving cactus, which are a tropical type cactus. And I don't believe that those have a toxic type leaf either for your pets. And then if they're, I don't know how big your dogs are, but uh, if they're sitting up pretty high, the dog can't really get to, you know, to the foliage to be eating them. Uh, right. I, the other thing, I, I do have some Christmas cactus. Um, the other thing is um, some of them um, don't have flowers, but they have colored type leaves on them, which would be okay to add a little color other than just plain green. Right. Uh, and I didn't know if there are any of those varieties that are out there. Well, I mean, there's all, I mean, the crotons, C-R-O-T-O-N, or codiums, they, lots of different kinds of colorful leaves with those. And uh, I don't believe that those are toxic to pets, but, uh, you know, I, I might be wrong about that, but uh, I think they're pretty much safe. Again, uh I, I, you know, I don't know what attracts, you know, certain animals to certain vegetation, but uh, that, you know, that should give you some very, you know, very much of a color circumstance. If you want something a little bit more shrubby like, the gardenia is a good one for a house plant that flowers off and on throughout the year. Super. There's a lot of options there. Great. Well, good luck. Thanks. Sure. And now let's go from Jerry's yard over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Good morning. You were speaking of the bulbs, and it made me think about my iris. Is this a good time of year to be um, feeding them? And what is the best location for planting the iris bulbs as far as north, south, east, west? Uh, Basically, are we talking about the the classic flag type iris? Are we talking about Japanese iris or Siberian iris? The regular, the regular old fashioned iris. Okay, Uh, don't fertilizing to any plant material when it's dormant, which the iris are dormant right now, is not advisable because, especially with our crazy weather and everything else, the fertilizer could be down. The plants could you know, absorb it, that might trigger some growth premature. And then if we have another, let's say, colder spell a little bit later, then any kind of actively growing, even though it might not be really pronounced, it could do some, you know, some damage. And as far as exposure goes, they're pretty tough, but they really prefer more sun than they, you know, than a part shade or a shaded location. They will survive. They just won't flower as much in those type of locations. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And we've got uh, phone lines open again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your house plants, if they're actively growing uh, and you want to fertilize them, you can fertilize them. You're better off to go with a, this time of year about half the label rate. So if it says Two tablespoons per gallon of water, obviously half of that would be just one tablespoon. And uh, the stuff, as I said before, outdoors, don't do anything as far as fertilizing goes until you start to see the buds open, uh, whether those buds are for flowering or whether the buds are for uh, foliage either way. And in another week or two, we should be starting to see 
some of the very early blooming or blooming trees, shrubs, and things along that line. Witch hazel is going to be the first thing that's going to be in flower, and uh, that's really kind of striking and spectacular. This is a time of year too that uh, the deer, if you've got, uh, if you live in a neighborhood where there are deer or where there are chipmunks, voles, mice, rabbits, they are going to be hmm, potentially doing some damage to your plant material. So just kind of watch out and be careful with all that. The moles, the ground is still pretty darn cold, so mole activity should be minimal. But if you start to see piles of dirt in your yard, realize that that's mole activity. And uh, what they're doing is they can only tunnel so much and they have to push some of the soil up to the surface so they can keep going. And the reason why they're going is because they're going after earthworms. And while the ground is still cold, the earthworms are not going to be moving too much. And so consequently, the moles won't be out there doing anything as far as tunneling because there's nothing for them to eat. So it's strictly that reason. Just realize, too, that uh, fallen leaves keep that debris from building up on your lawn or your plant beds because, again, that creates a moisture circumstance and uh, fungus problems. As we live right across the street from Christie Park, uh, consequently, the prevailing winds are starting to blow you know, the leaves from the park into our yard. And in the past week or so, I've actually had four 65-gallon uh, leaf uh, plastic bags of leaves, which I take the bags. I don't throw them into the yard waste dumpsters, but uh, I dump dump out of the plastic bags. So I fill the yard waste dumpster with all the leaf debris myself. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I can tell just by looking at it that it's, you know, stuff that's coming out of my yard. So 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. 
It's Tom Ackerman. I'll be making two appearances at the Cardinals Winter Warm-Up this weekend. Sports on a Sunday morning from 10 to 12 and Monday from 10 to 1 with Chris Ranji. We'll be at Cardinals Nation inside Ballpark Village on the home of the Cardinals, KMOX. This weather can really have an impact on your soils. In the ground, or if you do have pots, I have some pots that I leave out year-round. And consequently, with this freezing and thawing, what it does is soil contracts, it expands, it contracts, it expands according to the temperature. And then when it's doing that, it's also creating air pockets. Then when it gets cold again, uh, the air pockets are filling up with cold air. And then consequently, the plant materials, feeder roots, can have some damage to them. So, and also this, you know, this time of year, there's not a whole lot to do in your landscape, but one thing you can do is deep root feeding, and that's where you actually take an electric drill with an earth auger, which is a larger drill bit, about an inch in diameter, and auger holes around the perimeter of woody plant materials, be it shrubs, be it trees or whatever, and then backfill those holes with compost. So what happens is you auger a hole, then move in a circular action around. You start about halfway out from the trunk to the drip line, and consequently you auger a hole, then move two feet over, auger another hole, backfill, and then that's a very easy way to do. Also what you can do is on your lawn, if you'd like to, you can just spread some compost on the surface of your lawn, especially it doesn't really matter if it's a cool season lawn or a warm season lawn and just kind of, you know, rake it to smooth it out and that will just kind of melt it down into the ground. And what that, you know, going back to the deep root feeding, what that does, it doesn't necessarily feed your plant material directly, but it feeds the soil and healthy soil is the best way to have a healthier, healthy, you know, better-looking plant material. So keep that in mind also. Mulches, you can do mulching this time of year. And uh, when I worked at the Botanical Garden in English Woodland Garden, this is a time of year where there really wasn't too much going on. But uh, I would be out in the Woodland Garden, and I would be spreading the mulch this time of year. And it's beneficial from the standpoint of moisture retention and also weed control. So just realize that that's what mulches can do. The type of mulch you choose, there's various different types. Certain plant material will do better with a certain type of mulch just because of the acidic quality of the mulch versus another, uh, let's say, one that's not quite as acidic. So if you've got broadleaf evergreens like azaleas, holly, those type things, or nandina domestica, heavenly bamboo, anything at all, even though it's not technically a bamboo, it is evergreen, and it will you know, really prefer to have a mulch that is more acid-based. Or something like, uh, let's say, lilacs or clematis, they don't necessarily need the acidity. They you know, pr- would prefer a more alkaline situation, so you can get a, a mulch around and put around that type of plant that's a little bit more neutral. So just kind of keep that in mind. Other things that you need to be thinking about just kind of in general is 
just keep an eye on everything. You're, and if you do, any, if you haven't had a soil test done, get a soil test done. This is a good time of year to do it. And one of the most important things with a soil test, besides telling you the nutrient level of the plant of your, of your soil that the plant material is growing in, is also going to be your pH. And the soil pH goes from one size for let's say it's on a scale of 1 to 14, 7 is neutral, anything below 7 is acidic, anything above 7 is alkaline, and uh, the you know to do a home test as far as uh, you know checking your soil pH, it's kind of really a waste of time and effort. But if you want to go ahead and do that, that's fine, but just realize that uh, those, uh, the analysis is not going to be as good as a real soil test. And soil tests are not really all that expensive. And keep, you know, keep in mind that the soil test will tell you, you know, watch out if you've been doing the same kind of fertilizing for an extended period of time that you might have extravagant levels of certain nutrients built up where you think you're really helping your plant material by fertilizing. You may be doing uh, let's say, uh, to the disadvantage of the plant material by using the same fertilizer, whether it be even like triple 12. The last two numbers are phosphorus and potassium. And those two nutrients have a, have a tendency and will stay in your soil for exp- extended periods of time. And they build up and they build up and they build up. Where the first number, the nitrogen only stays viable for the plant material for a few days, and then it becomes a gas and goes up into the air. Now, when we do have lightning storms and things like that, then, you know, the nitrogen comes back down. That's why after rain, a lot of times things kind of sparkle a little bit simply because they're getting a nice, let's say, uh, uh, a nice bath or shower of nitrogen. Soil texture is really important as well. So what that is is just whether the percentage of sand, silt, clay, all those kind of things make a really difference. And uh, the texture is really crucial as far as the ability of uh, plant material to send out the feeder roots. And the feeder roots is what absorbs the nutrients and moisture. So that's what is really extremely important. The organic matter is essential for the you know formation of the soil structure. It reduces compaction, and that's you know when you're adding organic matter like compost to the ground, and that really helps with the water holding capacity. Also helps with like I was talking about before the freezing and thawing cycle. It's ideal to have the organic matter about uh, at least three percent or greater. And you can, again, the soil test will tell you what the uh, sort of percentage of organic matter is in your soil. And it's measured, really, I mean, a soil test is really unbelievably important just overall. If you're really serious about your plant material, rather than just kind of guessing and doing the same thing over and over and over again, what you can, can do, you know, outside is start watching for some of the trees are the buds are going to start to open up, and uh, one of the earlier ones that are, is going to be blooming is not really a real spectacular one. It's going to be a silver maple, 
and they have small greenish kind of yellow twigs at the end, and that's where the actual flower, and that's what makes the maple score. It's going to start happening at that particular point. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It's a good time to start visiting your garden center, maybe getting some, uh, you know, even just lawn seed and just germinating it, not like in your yard or anything else, but just having a pot and putting it in a nice sunny window just to have something new to be growing. That's, you know, kind of fun. Or you can head, garden centers are going to start having things like, uh, obviously, packs of seed, you know, f- that tie the annuals or the perennials or things like that. But they're going to also start having some of the early spring type things like uh, rhubarb plants. And uh, even if you think, oh, I don't really like rhubarb or I don't want they're really kind of interesting just to grow. And just, you don't have to have them, there. even though they're perennial, you don't have to keep them forever. That's what I do. I grow things until I kind of get bored with them. And then consequently, then I just put them in the yard waste dumpster and, uh, you know, go on to something else. Let's head over to Gene's yard now. Gene, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Hey, I have two tulip trees. They're up in the, the country. And we built a wall, so we had to put like two foot of soil up. And I know it's up the trunk. Are those for sure goners, or uh, should I keep watering them? And now, are these true tulip trees? Or are you talking about a magnolia that many people call a tulip tree? No, no, these are true tulip trees. Yeah, I mean. They're a little bit tougher. I don't know how. What's the diameter of the trees? Trunks. Uh, probably 12 inches. Yeah, so I would say if you've piled soil up on the trunks, that's not a good thing. And it's not necessarily going to kill kill them instantly. But what it's going to cause is a potential because of the moisture up next to the bark, it's going to start rotting the bark off. And then when the bark starts riding off, that's where all the vascular system and the veins of the tree is. And then consequently, that's going to head, a, you know, head them downhill. It's not going to be something instantaneous, in, uh, but it's not a good sign. Okay. We kind of figured, but uh, we still keep watering them. I just thought, you know, a hammer might do it, but... Anyway, okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah. And you have a good day. I mean, they're tough trees. You don't have to really do any uh, additional watering, you know, just because the soil's on them or just, you know, and just kind of in general. What also another concern is if you built a wall, if the wall is has concrete related to it, then that's going to change the soil pH of where they're growing, and that could have an adverse impact as well. So not only – so ever. Several different things can make a a bad circumstance for your tulip trees. Okay. So it's most likely it's gonna rot anyway. Right. And okay. again, it's they're not gonna die in within the next few years. It could take several years before they do, but you're just gonna notice that uh, the activity as far as the new growth 
and uh, the extension of the branches and things along that line uh, is going to just start diminishing. Okay. Well, maybe I'll keep them for a few years. Sure. I could be dead then, so, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure, Mike. Have a good day. Yes, you do. This. Have a good day yourself. And now let's go over to Lisa's yard. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. I have questions about growing herbs in my inside my house in the wintertime. I've tried. I keep killing them. Do you have any suggestions? Uh, you have grow lights? No, no, just windows. Yeah, just windows. Even south-facing windows is probably not going to be enough, uh, you know, sunlight to actually, you know, to make them do anything at all as far as growth-wise. In theory, you should be able to do it, but uh, just watch out when you're growing. I'm assuming you're growing them from seed. Is that what you said? No, I bought plants. I oh. bought a rosemary, actually, a rosemary plant from a garden center, planted that, that kind of died. And then I had bought the little containers you buy at the grocery store, right. like basil and stuff like that, and I threw that in a pot because I didn't need all of it, and both of them died. Yeah, the rosemary, I don't, you know, they're pretty tough. So, uh, and really with the basil, you know, buying them at a grocery store is probably, they probably have didn't have proper care. So even though they looked healthy and the foliage smelled good and everything else, they probably weren't in good shape. But I grow rosemary pretty much every year and uh, have pretty good luck with it. So the okay. thing with the herbs in general is, Watch out with the amount of watering you do because you can probably yeah you're very probably right. okay. And I have one more question. I took your suggestion on planting some bulbs in pots for the winter, uh-huh. and then I was listening to the home improvement line guy a few weeks ago, and he talked about with all the weather we're having, make sure you cover stuff. Otherwise, your 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 ceramic concrete pipes pots can break. So then I covered it, and I thought, well, that's not going to work because then. Doesn't seriously, doesn't it need to get rain and or snow on top of those bulbs all winter in order for them to be okay in the spring? Right, absolutely. Oh, so okay. so these were ceramic pots that you have? Actually, it's an old concrete uh, uh, water tub that I have out in my backyard. And I always plant um, different spring stuff in it. But I thought it would be fun to have bulbs in there. Right. I just didn't want it to break. I mean, it's it's old. Someday it's going to break. But anyway, so, oh, I'll protect it. Okay. Well, next time I'll do something different. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what you can do since it's old and it's concrete is when these finish, just pull all the soil out and you can waterproof the concrete and then you can put the soil back in. I'm assuming these, you know, this particular container has drainage holes to it. Yes, it does. Okay. Yes. Because it was a, it was set up for a wash machine. Oh. And water would drain into it. So yeah, I have I have a I have a good size um, exit at the bottom. Oh, I never thought about internally um, water sealing it. That's a great idea. Yeah, okay. and that way, uh, you know, that soaks right into it. And so, basically, something of that sort of heavy duty circumstance. If it doesn't really have any cracks in it, then uh, moisture is not going to get in there, and it's not going to cause it to crumble apart. So. So that the soil itself, when it freezes, won't push the sides of it? No, it won't. Huh. Because really when well, soil when soil off. freezes, it actually contracts. It's when That's it's true. got moisture, then it expands. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. I will. Maybe I'll go outside and take the tarp off today. <laughs> See what it happens for <laughs> the season. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate sure. it. Sure, my pleasure. Bye-bye. And this time of year, uh, it's going to be really pretty soon that you're going to start to see the forsythia blooming. And the forsythia blooming means that there's the annual warm season weeds are going to start emerging, and that includes spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, all kinds of different grasses, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, violets are going to start, you know, All this takes off at the same time. So consequently, these things are actually going to be growing from seed. So if you have had a historic problem in certain areas, whether it's a bed space or in your lawn area, and you're really considering putting a pre-emergent down, wait until the forsythia is in bloom, and then consequently that's when you would be putting the pre-emergent down. Or you can go to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer. And when you start to, you know, you just stick it into the ground, wait until you see the temperature change, if it's going to change. And what it is, is if it's 55 degrees, the soil temperature, 55 degrees for three days in a row, that's a time when a pre-emergent needs to go down as well. So keep that in mind. Other things that are, uh, you know, going to be problematic as far as the warm season weeds that includes foxtail and foxtail as i said before lamb's quarter not weed and the spurge is probably the one that there's several different kinds of spurges and some of them are can be really aggravating but this is a you know a good time of year this morning probably would if you got up early and got to see that sparkling stuff all over your lawn and your car windshields and everything else. It's really kind of neat, but you can head out and just kind of wander around in your yard and uh, start looking for buds expanding, and that's when you're going to be wanting to take you know action related to several different factors depending upon what type of plant it really is. And uh, as I said earlier, if you have a euonymus and uh, you start to see... You know, it's a broadleaf, evergreen type of euonymus, and the, it's all brown. That's not a good sign. So, Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you, Scott. And this is the KMOX Garden Hotline second hour, which will have the tip of the trowel, which is a special recognition of an individual group or situation that's made an impression on me this past week. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Right now, if you have any ideas, questions, concerns, or comments related to your plant world, indoors or outside, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, and we can talk about it. Thanks for having me on your show, by the way, where discussions can range from making a plant selection for a very specific location how to care for it? What's going to be the mature size? Do you need to watch out for, let's say, proximity to concrete 
or whatever it happens to be where that's in your landscape. And that we can talk about, you know, peak seasons, humdrum times, whether they're annuals, spring or summer bulbs, herbs, vegetables, fruit trees, evergreens, herbaceous ground covers or evergreen, evergreen type ground covers, perennials, cascading house plants, maybe some upright ones, maybe some trees, cool or warm season lawns, shrubs, classic roses, rose bushes, conifers, deciduous trees, and, uh, you know, annual vines, perennial vines. How about a fountain or a water garden? How's that going to impact the surrounding plant material? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that will take you towards your desired results, but strictly offered for you to consider. And by the way, a very important member of this show is James. He's producing, so when you call in, he's going to be answering the phone. He just needs your first name. And uh, when he's not answering the phone, but he does it at the same time many times, he's pushing all the buttons. So when I talk or you talk, we can hear, and that's what the producer is all about. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And besides our Saturday morning get-together, I can come out to your plant world and take a look around for an on-site consultation, which I call a walk-and-talk. My website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage has my email address, which is mmillerdesigns 22 at gmail.com or my phone number either way. Today's tip of the trial is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to everybody that's, you know, kind of looking out in the outdoors, looking out in your windows, looking out of, you know, walking around in your yard and realizing winter's not almost over, but this is a good time just to be outside. And some of the days are a little nicer than other days, but uh, it's really, this is very, very important to get out and find out what's going on rather than just kind of taking an inactive approach. I see lots of people in our neighborhood that are wandering around in their yard, and uh, it's just kind of fun to do. So a tip of the trial goes out to basically everybody that spends some time out in their yard this time of year not just uh, when the weather is just perfectly wonderful, but, you know, other times as well. So tip of the trial to you. Thank you very much. I always find it entertaining what people are, you know, doing as I take a couple walks a day. And uh, sometimes I'm a little bit surprised by what people are doing, just like people were surprised last Saturday that I was out cutting my zoysia <laughs> and, uh, with a mower. So, I mean, when one person went by and they kind of, they laughed like, what in the world is this guy doing? But anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's head over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Um, every year I would put down the bagged wood mulch, you know, the kind you get three bags for $10 and it comes in colors in my landscaping. Mm-hmm. But it's getting too hard now for me to put it down every year because it looks so terrible at the beginning because it's faded. So I'm having a landscaping company come out now and put the nice landscaping mulch down. So my question is, should I try to get up all that old faded mulch 
are will it be okay for them to come out and put the nice mulch on top of it? Uh, you can put the nice mulch. The problem is just how it's not necessarily you know the faded or the quality of what the old mulch was. It's just the depth. So around trees and shrubs, you really don't want more than like four inches or so. A little bit more is okay. And uh, around perennials or in ground cover circumstances or those situations, uh, you only want about one to two inches. So that's where the problem could come from. It's just the depth that can cre- you know create somewhat of a nightmare in that situation. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean it. It like disintegrates too. Sure. So I don't. You know, you can see some of the dirt in between some of the mulch, but I thought, well, maybe I should get all that old stuff up. No, no, because it's melted down, you know, basically biodegradable. That's what mulch does, and as it's doing that, it's actually helping your soil, and then consequently that will help whatever plant material is growing in close proximity. Oh, great. Well, that's good news now. All right. Well, thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's, where should we go? Let's go over to Phil's yard. Hi, Phil. Hi, Michael. Uh, a couple of questions. I've got a uh, Dawn redwood tree, very tall, and the roots are coming up on the surface. Next door to me is a, a irrigation system in their yard. I can cut the, uh, root, the, the roots off, but then should the whole tree come down? Uh, you don't, you know, cutting the roots off, that could really, you know, be some damaging circumstance for the tree because you figure that, uh, you know, the surface roots, that's actually, you know, extends out from the trunk, obviously, and, you know, they're on the surface because of the type of soil there is and everything else that they're growing in, but that's where the feeder roots are, and then consequently when you cut that root off, you're reducing the amount of feeder roots, which has been developed over a period of time, which helps support the above-ground growth, so it could lead to just kind of a slow decline. Yeah, we're kind of worried about the uh, irrigation thing next door might be damaged too, so I guess the tree should come down then, really. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, okay, I yeah. say you should, okay. but, uh, and just realize okay. when you take the, you know, the tree down, even if you grind the stump out, that location is going to be very difficult to have anything grow. I, I got you. Okay. Like, and I, I, uh, had a uh, burning bush I cut down about over a little over half. Can you put uh, paint on the uh, on the stubble or where the cut where the cut was to seal it? No, that's not necessary. Days of okay. old it used to help, but that's when paint that was used for that sealer uh, had lead in it. Since the lead was taken out from the environmental standpoint, that uh, it's cosmetic. It doesn't do anything. You might as well just leave it. Or you can put some color on it, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to help do anything for the plant. I'm going to try one real quick, quick one here. I've got uh, some orchids, and they're uh, starting to get new blooms on it now. I'm out of uh, the regular spray for the for the leaves, and I've got some that's uh, the original bottle had 0.2 percent nitrogen and phosphate and potash, but the new new container I have the soluble stuff has 58% phosphate and 8% potash. But it calls for one quarter, uh, one quarter ounce of, uh, of food per quart. Will that still work okay? Yeah, it should. But uh, maybe okay. I would say probably rather than going with the label rate, do about half what the label rate is. 
Okay, we'll do. All right, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you. And let's see, why don't we go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Bob, Karen, Paulette, and Richard. We go where you go. 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX.com. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open, but let's head over to Karen Jar right now. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? Very good. Good. Um, I have about a 12 to 15 put, uh, foot stretch of perennials above a wall in my backyard. And <clears throat> this is a chronic problem all summer, but I'm looking out. And even though I mulched it in the fall, the wild onions are pretty much everywhere on that part. And then as the perennials start coming up, they, they're they difficult to get rid of all summer. I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to them now. Uh, you could try an herbicide. What you might do is go out and can you get up on top of the wall where these yes. are growing? Uh-huh. Okay. No Step on the wild onions and... Uh, then put a, actually get some herbicide. I don't know if you're anti, you know, the ones that you know that you uh-huh. can. Yes. Yeah. But uh, and just paint it right onto the onions, and okay. by opening up those wounds, then that should help get the uh, wild onions under control. I see, but, and that won't hurt the perennials because I'm only doing it to the foliage on exactly the right. And that's why okay. you want to do it before the new growth begins on your perennials. But yeah, the onions are prolific. I've there's one yard I walked by the other day, and I was surprised at how many they had. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Bye. And uh, let's go now to Paulette's yard. Hi, Paulette. Hi. How are you today? Very good. Um, I have a question. You were talking about rosemary before. Can you bring rosemary inside? Well, I grow mine inside. <laughs> okay. What do you do? Because I have lost it every year. Uh, I have it, uh, basically it's in an east-facing window, and uh, that's pretty much it. I, it's a cool oh, window. You talked about um, watch the water. What does that mean? Well, you just don't want to overwater. Okay, that's, alrighty. With the herbs, they're much better off underwatered than overwatered. I've, I've, I've lost it every year, and I wonder what I'm doing that I'm losing it. It turns... Sort of grayish and dead. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign. But uh, no, yeah, it's not a just, good sign. <laughs> just watch, you know, the inside of the pot. When you first get it, just you know, it should be, you know, the potting mix should go all the way to the inside of the, you know, the pot that they're growing right, in, right. and then uh, let it shrink and have a gap in between the potting mix and the soil before you do any watering, and then don't water again until that gap, you know, returns. And oh, what okay. I do with mine, too, is I watch it right at first to see that, but also when it's, uh, you know, when it, the gap has been formed, I lift the pot to see how heavy it feels. And then okay. now, right. rather than right. looking at it, because it, get, it overgrows the edge of the pot and it's kind of tough to see sometimes, then I just go by the weight of the pot, then I water it really well, and uh, a little bit of if you don't if the, don't have any kind of wrap, a little saucer underneath it. Right, to, I, I have that. 
Okay, that's that. so that's not sitting in directly in the water. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing oh. everything. It sounds like right, but uh, just uh, and I'm assuming they're in a sunny window. Um, as much as what we can get, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's not in direct sun. I don't have direct sun, um, but I have it where it is light. And it was doing well, and then all of a sudden, part of it, part of the plant sort of, well, I'm not, it died. So I cut yesterday, I pulled some of that away from the ground and cut that off. Is there any hope for the rest of that plant? Well, it's hard to say. If it's off one, a single stem, then, hmm, it may be that you got a root system. But also another thing I do, I rotate my pot a quarter of a turn every day. Oh, okay. So, All right. Okay. All righty. Well, yeah. I'll try. I love rosemary, and I, ju- I love the plant. And um, I just I had wondered if it's possible to bring it inside at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it's in the ground, don't dig it up out of the ground and bring it inside, but leave it in a pot, and then you can bring leave it in a pot, pot inside. Right. right. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, and you have a good day. You do the very same thing. Thank you. Bye bye. And now let's go over to Richard's yard. Hi, Richard. Hey, Mike. Um, the uh, I've got a. Um, a 20-foot arbovitae in the backyard that I decorated for Christmas. How long can I leave the uh, lights on that thing? Um, the only thing, you know, the the worst thing that could possibly happen is, depending upon what type of lights you put on it, is if the, the light bulbs, even though they're, probably, you know, indoor, outdoor, whatever it happens to be, if they're if they get hot, then that could do a little bit of damage from an aesthetic standpoint. But you can leave them on for you know quite a period of time without with if if there's no heat problem related to the light bulbs, then it, it, nothing else is going to make much difference. Um, you know the the next question is, can I leave them on all year? <laughs> I mean, why take them down? Well, uh, the problem with out you know all year long, what happens is sort of the weather and everything else could sort of degrade the wiring and you may just shorten the life of the strand of uh, your uh, your lights. So the danger is to the lights, not to the tree. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Sure. I mean, you could leave them and uh, they might be fine and you might get a couple years out of them because if you, sometimes if you have a let's say a larger arborvitae or a larger whatever you're putting your uh, seasonal lights on, it can be a lot of work. And then it's a lot of work to put them on, of course, and then it's a lot of work to take them off. So just that's where the sort of the downside. Okay, thanks very much. Yep, my pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As you head out to your favorite garden center, Probably in another couple of weeks, you're going to start to see two different kind of spring flowering annuals. One's going to be the pansies. The other's going to be toad flax. If you don't know what a toad flax is, that's T-O-A-D-F-L-A-X. Uh, check it out online because uh, sometimes the garden centers don't have the toad flax, but a combination of the two in the same window box or in the same pot or in the same bed space really kind of makes it a little bit of interesting uh, circumstance. 
And uh, the quickest impact is going to be if you plant a, a larger pot, like a, if they're in a four or six inch pot versus a six pack or a, a flat of 36. And anytime you install any of these spring flowering annuals, either one of them, uh, you're probably better off to pinch some of the flowers off. Uh, what that's going to do is the plant's going to have use have some more energy to to acclimate to the situation. In other words, send some root systems out and just watch out as far as you know overwatering. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts or anything else, but uh, pansies happen to be my favorite, but I do grow some toad flax as well, so keep that in mind. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We've got some phone lines open, but right now let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Hi. Mary. Uh, well, happy New Year. Same to you. I have a dilemma. Um, one of your callers uh, earlier had inspired me to dig up my lantana, my one yellow lantana, which, of course, I put in a, a sunny window in the house, and it's doing well. Really? What I like about lantana, of course, is, you know, when you brush against the foliage, it has that lovely aroma. Right. Now, here's the dilemma with my lantana in the south window when you rub the leaves they t- they smell like kerosene <laughs> i i know you can't solve probably can't solve the problem but it is an unusual dilemma for me well when it's outside how does it smell that it shouldn't smell that much different. It shouldn't. It oh, should. I know it shouldn't, but outside it has that lovely aroma on the foliage. So I, I'm just, uh, I, I know you probably can't solve the problem, but I just was curious, maybe sometime when your other caller who's successful at Lantana, maybe if she's listening, she can check her foliage and see if it's me or what. Um, so anyway, 
I don't expect you to be able to solve the problem, but I just wanted to mention this. That's kind of interesting because I can't, you know, it's just surprising there's going to be that much of a change from the smell outside, unless when you're outside you're smelling all kinds of other Let's say atmospheric no, type things. No, 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 no. I've grown lantana along. No, I'm just saying. Uh, I I wondered if the true uh, sunshine had anything to do with this. Well, we'll never it, know. Yeah, when it's inside, I, it's going to be in the true sunshine anyway, even if it's behind a you know a window pane. I know, I know. So. Anyway, anyway. That's uh, my comment, and I hope you have a good week. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, I, I've never really noticed. I don't really have. It's been a long time since I've grown any lantana inside, so I can't honestly say, you know, I've smelled and noticed the difference. But uh, even outside, I think this, you know, the lantana doesn't have a great fragrance. Obviously, it's one that you really like. So uh, good luck with that. And now let's head over to Ginger's yard. Hi, Ginger. Hi, Mike. Uh, I was calling earlier, you said about tree trimming. We have a really old uh, silver silver maple uh-huh. in our front yard. And uh, we had someone out, they're going to think about doing a little maintenance on it. Would, uh, say, in March, is that too soon to do it or not? Well, generally with the maples, you know, they prefer to be uh, pruned when the weather is a little bit warmer, kind of okay. a summertime situation. So, but there's, you know, the problem with it, uh, doing, uh, doing it, doing it in the time that you're speaking of is mm-hmm. the amount of sap flow. Okay. And okay. the same thing in the fall, there's more sap flow in the summertime. It seems to be less sap flow and the sap flow, if, you know, on an older tree could be damaging from the standpoint of that it's losing what sap is is you know that's like the vascular system of the the tree bringing nutrients up to the top to you know for the bud formation and the bud mm-hmm. opening in the leaves once the leaves come out and everything else oh okay well it's uh it's really heavy on one side right now because of amarin when they cut for the power lines oh so we were trying to get a little off our roof <laughs> right but uh, I don't know, what, what month would you think would be best? I, I would say if they just wait for, you know, two more months. Two more months, okay. But, but okay. if, I mean, if, if they feel safe, you know, as far as doing it, and because this tree is, you know, kind of in a, let's say, a difficult circumstance because mm-hmm. it's been, half of its head has been cut off, right. you might go ahead and just do it, and especially if it's hanging over your roof because... If it's a silver maple, then it has the maple squirts, and then your gutters fill with the, you know, the mm-hmm. maple squirts oh, yeah. and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, that's just what I was wondering. Okay, great. I, I thank you, and you have a great day. You did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Is that, uh, Thanks for taking my call. Uh, with this weather that uh, it's been warming up, uh, getting cold, when's the best time to apply dormant oil on the fruit trees? Basically, uh, while they're still dor- you know, while they're still dormant. So look at the temperature on the label, and just make sure that on the day that you do the application, that it's within that temperature range, and uh, that's about all you really need to worry about. But the dormant oil is really a g- really good thing to do, uh, as far as let's say killing lots of different kinds of insects that are either eggs 
or larvae or pupa that are on the stems or branches of your trees. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Yeah, and if you end up, don't use and you don't, and for anybody, anybody that doesn't apply the dormant oil, it's a, something that you apply during dormancy. There is a lightweight hummer, uh, horticultural oil that you can apply after the new growth begins. So that's another thing that you could do as well. Great. Thanks again, Mike. Yep. And uh, this time of year with the spring flowering, if you planted some of the smaller bulbs like the snowdrops, the grape hyacinths, the crocus and things like that, they are going to be the first ones because they're smaller bulbs. You only plant them uh, an inch or two deep versus the daffodils, tulips, or hyacinths, regular hyacinths, uh, which go down four inches or so. So you can remember that the smaller bulbs are the first ones that are going to erupt and start to, you know, foliage is going to start showing up. And then that's, again, when you start to fertilize, as soon as you start to see the foliage coming up. And you could use a a bulb booster or you can use an all-purpose type of fertilizer as well. And you can feed as long as the plant is growing, either flowering or foliage growing or anything else, Every two to three weeks, probably every three weeks is going to be a little bit better. And uh, once the foliage on your spring flowering bulbs start turning yellow, then you can go ahead and just stop fertilizing because it's not going to be to the advantage of the plant material. And this is a good time of year to think about some of the things that you may be wanting to add to your landscape. Maybe some plants that are going to attract the butterflies. Or how about a, a, a rest stop for the hummingbirds? Or I guess it's not really a rest stop. It's more like a fast food stop. And uh, maybe adding some colorful vines or, you know, all kinds of different things like that can really make a huge impact. And you could get a larger pot, put a trellis in that, and grow annual vines very easily. Annual vines like morning glories and something along those lines or grape hyacinth, grape hy- or hyacinth bean, rather. Hyacinth bean vine is one of my favorite you know, vines to grow, and I haven't grown them for a couple years. What I like to do is I like to you know, grow things and then kind of take a break from growing a, the specific thing and, and then start growing it again if it's something that I really enjoy. But the uh, hyacinth bean vine with the purplish flowers, the hummingbirds absolutely just love them, and the aesthetics of it are really, you know, fantastic. In one pack, you can harvest the, be- you know, the bean pods will have the beans in it. And the even the, the peas or the pods or the seeds uh, are really kind of interesting. The t- it looks like almost an Oreo cookie because the center has a white line across it or through it. So that's, you know, even just having a jar of the seeds, you know, kind of sitting around, just as a you know reminder, I have a, a small jar in my garage, and uh, just as a reminder of how nice the seeds actually look on the uh, hyacinth bean vine. Other things that you still want to keep looking for is if an area you're going to add some amendments to because you want to improve it, because you want to change the plant material that's growing in that space, and you you want to create a raised bed and you want to raise it up to a certain level. Don't add any more than two inches of, let's say, a topsoil compost mix at a time. And 
then you work that into the existing soil and then add two more inches and then work it together and then add two more inches if you're going for a total of six inches to raise a bed rather than dumping six inches on the ground or in the space all at once and working the soil as a result of that. So just be patient. And also with some of the areas, if you're going to be developing an area for a specific type garden space, whether it's a butterfly garden or whatever it happens to be, herb garden or anything else, just be patient and maybe wait for a full year after you already improve the soil before you actually do much planting because you're going to be battling weeds. You're going to be battling circumstances that you didn't even realize what was going on. And that's kind of the important part of being patient and not just uh, being desperate to get something done. And uh, what you're going to need for about every 100 square feet of uh, garden space, you're going to need about two cubic yards of total you know, your, uh, amendments to to raise this you know, bed space up. So just keep that in mind. Let's head over to Cindy's yard. Hi, Cindy. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I, uh, good morning. I have a coral honeysuckle that we have put um, next to an ornamental gate that goes to nowhere. It's just a gate that's standing, standing up. My husband has it supported. And um, I want, I would like you to tell me how to prune that honeysuckle. Do you want to prune it? You don't have to. I don't have to prune the honeysuckle? No. You're talking about the honeysuckle vine, right? Honeysuckle vine, uh, coral honeysuckle vine. And it gets very, very top-heavy. So, well, yeah, that's going to be its its natural habit. So basically there's more, the top, you know, however high it can go, that's going to be the most light, and that's going to be, basically shadowing the area down below so it's going to look skinny where it's coming up out of the ground. And uh, so, I mean, you can prune it, but there's no reason to. It's it's going to change its overall impact or look for a short period of time, a couple years, but then it's going to be back to where it is again. Okay, great. So um, it doesn't, it flowers for a while and then it kind of goes back and it doesn't flower and then it flowers, not very full. Uh, you know, there's not very many flowers. Is there something that I need to amend with this? With no. the core? No? Okay. That's, you know, that's kind of the genetics of the whole, of the vine type honeysuckle. So I've, you know, I haven't grown that particular one, but I've grown the red trumpet honeysuckle. But the the first, let's say, burst of flowers is always going to be the biggest, mm. and then okay. a rest, and then you know each time it flowers again, it's going to be less flowers. Okay, okay. May I ask another question? Do you have time for that? Sure. Okay. Um, a long time ago, my father brought um, some lily of the valley from his mother's yard in the city, and and it's gone. We live on two acres, and so it's gone from place to place a little bit. But I have it grown in, growing in a very, very shady place, and it's really uh, – there's a big stand of it. So I would like – I want to know if it actually needs deep, deep shade, or could I put it with in a place where there's a little bit moderate shade? Yeah, and that will grow in a part shade circumstance as well as in the deep shade. The advantage okay. of it is that it grows in deep shade and can get thick and dense and everything else. But it doesn't have to have that. It doesn't have to. Okay. What about wild ginger? 
It's pretty much the same thing. Okay. Okay. I can put it in a little moderate, more moderate shade. And, right. And, okay. Because it's far away from my house. I want to see it more because I, cause I, I just, I love these little plants. Right. And so, okay. Just make sure that uh, the the amount of, if there is any kind of direct sun that's going to hit this location, where whether we're talking about the lily of the valley or the wild ginger, that uh-huh. you don't want the afternoon sun striking them. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, my pleasure. Okay, good. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline. Jennifer, we'll be talking to you as soon as the break is over. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. But if you do have a question, concern, or comment, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Jennifer's yard. Hi, Jennifer. Good morning, Mike. I have two questions for you. One is, is it too late to trim back a Rosa Sharon? Um, and secondly, I have an indoor peace lily, large peace lily plant, and mm-hmm. it continues to grow beautifully, but I keep getting like one total brown leaf, and I don't know what the brown leaf means. Thank and you. The brown leaf might be the older leaves, so that's probably just cut those off. As long as you've got a lot of good-looking leaves, that sounds perfect. And, uh, uh-oh, what was your first question? Is it too late to trim back a Rose of Sharon? Oh, no, because anything that blooms in the summertime, which the Rose of Sharon does, you can prune those all the way up until the new growth starts coming out or emerging. So you've got probably another six or eight, you know, maybe four to six weeks, depending upon the weather, before you're going to start to see the buds starting to open. Okay. Should I fertilize inside the peace lily? Yeah, that's, there's no problem doing that. Just uh, the type of fertilizer, you can go to your favorite garden center and tell them you've got uh, houseplants and ask them what they have as far as what they would recommend. And then just fertilize half the label rate. Okay, thank you. Yes. And now let's head over to Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I think I missed the um, earlier discussion about the Euronymus, but I have several of the upright Euronymus, and the leaves are all turned yellow and light brown, and, and a lot of them are falling off. And But I tried to um, break off the, the uh, ends, and they're still bendable, not snapping off. And I just wonder, do you think that they'll survive? Uh, it just all happened since that really cold spell. Right, early in the season. So, right. yeah, it's only an aesthetic thing. But all the foliage has, you know, got that cold snap before it was ready to be that cold that fast. Uh, those are going to drop off. But the stems, the branches, and everything else still seem to be fine. It's just going to be a little bit of why or a little bit of time before they, you know, the new growth starts coming out, and certainly before the new growth gets to be the same size as the growth that got damaged by that cold weather. Okay, so we have. We keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so they're not in the wrong zone then, right? No, no, they're not. Uh, it was just, well, and technically they are, but uh, because of our goofy weather, just like what you experienced, you've been, had several years where they went through the wintertime, made it fine, which is that right. cold snap came so soon before they were sort of like uh, in their more dormant 
situation. I see. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yes, and now let's go over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Hi. Mike, listen, I just got a quick question. Uh, when is the best time to, to treat for grubs? Uh, I live in South, South St. Louis, and there's a pretty good problem with that. As far as grub treatment, you basically want to wait. You don't want to do it too soon because they're not going to be up near the surface. And uh, so just kind of they've kind of burrowed down a little bit. So you've, it's going to be all weather dependent. But uh, let's say sometime around I would put the grub control because they're more active, you know, up near the surface for the grub control to work uh, when things when the soil starts warming up. So I would say. Probably I wouldn't do it any sooner than mid-April. You do it any you know earlier than that, and it's just going to be kind of a waste of your time and effort and money for the grub control. Okay, two, one more question, Mike. What is your best? best uh, what do you like to use for grub control? And I have a great Dane that smiles at you every day. <laughs> uh, it really doesn't matter. I don't, you know, when it comes to you know something like this, I prefer to kind of maybe use the same product maybe two years in a row and then switch and just use a different, you know, different product, even though in theory they're for the same reason that I just like to rotate products. Okay, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Happy New Year. Sure. Same to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, grubs, a lot of times people say, you know, they have been problematic as far as related to the moles. Yes, moles do eat grubs. There's no getting around it. But moles are not, they, grubs move very little. So as I said earlier, the main diet for uh, moles is earthworms. And they are tunneling towards the sound of the earthworms. And then if the earthworms are not moving, the moles are not going to be up and moving around and what happens is if the mole's heading, heading towards the sound of an earthworm, you know, moving through the soil, and it comes across a grub, yes, it's going to eat it. It's going to be like an appetizer. But there's no way for them to know where the grubs are. So consequently, that's where, you know, the situation is. And as far as grubs, grubs only do damage to bluegrasses. They don't do damage to zoysia. They don't do damage to uh, fescues, either one. It's just the bluegrasses, but still they can be aggravating from that standpoint. So just kind of keep in mind that, you know, when the soil starts really warming up, that's, and if you've got a bluegrass lawn, that damage can start occurring at that situation. And what they do is they just eat the root system of your bluegrass lawn, and then that's what causes a bluegrass lawn to kind of go downhill. So, again, this is a time of year where we, you know, we passed a new year, but uh, it's a time to, you know, like even a day like this where it's pretty, you know, the skies are pretty clear just to take a walk if you haven't yet this year uh, around in your yard and just take, you know, take a look at things. And if you've got trees that are overhanging your house, maybe consider having some of those you know, branches removed because the amount of debris, you know, falling off those trees uh you know, it could cause damage to you uh, in your gutters. Even if you've got gutter covers and everything else, they help a lot, but they're not going to solve all the problems. And that goes back to the standpoint of not, you know, knowing how big a plant is going to be when it's installed 
and then for it to overgrow the circumstance. So just have a great day. Enjoy the warmer weather from this morning where it was like, as I said before, starry, starry night. Mike Miller, see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.